Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. And it was nice at the end of the day to have the guide. I went to go put my dogs up, and he's like, please don't put your dogs up. He said, because of them, he goes, we recover birds that I never would have been able to recover. Do you have trouble physically making it through long hunts? Is your dog always giving you that angry look telling you to keep up? Train your dog, but now it's time to train yourself. Rocky Mountain Hunt Strong is the company for any hunter that is looking for an effective fitness routine to get healthier and be able to hunt longer and harder. This company has merged fitness and the passion of hunting to help people like you and me continue to do what we love. From the Rockies to the Smokies and every field or prairie in between, this company can get you ready to go longer, cover more ground, and recover quicker. Go to RockyMountainHuntStrong.com and see their program for yourself. Use a discount code GDIY to save 15% and get to work. Train harder, hunt stronger, and recover faster. All right, it's everybody's favorite time of the week. It's another exciting episode of GDIY. Adam, what's going on? Not much, man. How are you? <laughs> living the dream as always. Yep, always living that dream. What we got going on this week, man? Uh, we are covering small Munsterlanders with Kara Whitaker this week. Yep, that was a good conversation with Kara. Got to hear about all the different things she does with her dogs. Uh, you know, a lot of us talk about having versatile dogs, but she's truly versatile with everything that she does with her dogs. Yeah, absolutely. She pays a pays a good deal of attention of branching out and doing doing more than just NAVDA testing with them. And you'll you'll hear about that in the episode. But uh, you know, small Munsties, Obviously, I'm a little biased. I have one and. And uh, they're a blast. They're they're a really fun dog, and they're definitely popping up more and more. I mean, heck, we had we had a training day yesterday, and we had two new people with with small Munsties, and they're fun little dogs, man. A lot of people enjoy them, and uh, you know, a li- little bit a little bit more nuance to train them, I guess, uh, as a, especially opposed to your typical short hair or something. But we kind of touch on a lot of that with Kara. So fun little episode this week. Absolutely, looking forward to it. Um, what else we got? What's new, Nick? Uh, well, we got a new sponsor. Yeah, buddy. Tell everybody about that. Conkey's Hound and Hunting Supply down in Florida. Uh, John Jenkins, 
wanted to partner up with us and sponsor the podcast. So you guys will be hearing more about Conkeys in the future. Absolutely. They, uh, they have a lot of dog gear. They have a lot of hunting gear for the, for the people involved. Uh, so check them out. It's Conkeys Outdoors and that, you know, from everything from collars to, to just hunting apparel and a lot of stuff. Just go check them out. Uh, the code GDIY5 gets you 5% off. And if you're a patron, be sure to reach out to us and you get a little bit, a little bit bigger of a discount than uh, just the 5%. So be sure to sign up and ask for that code. If you're interested in buying a Garmin collar, you know, 5% goes a long way when you're talking about a brand new uh, Garmin collar. Yeah. Garmin, Garmin Alpha is eight hundred bucks, man. So yeah, that's a good that's a good little discount, five yep. percent. But if you want more, like Nick said, uh, become a Patreon patron. I mean, heck, throw us a buck just to get a, a bigger discount on your big purchase. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You sign up for a dollar a month, and then you get the bigger discount at Conkey's if you're interested in a Garmin collar. And heck, that the Patreon. Uh, membership pays for itself for a sure good does. long while so yep. uh, be sure to check that out we're excited to have them on board glad to have them and uh, they have a lot of good stuff so be sure to check them again it's conkeys with a c you'll see their links up on the website and everything and and so be sure to check them out but before we get to the episode we uh we got a life advice with adam i was thinking you might have forgot this week i was no? sitting here wondering if if you didn't have a question and we we're just gonna <laughs> wait till next week nope we all uh, right we had a question uh, from Jim. He's a patron. Last week, he, he reached out and he asked a question. And uh, his question was directly, is it good to kayak with your dog? Kind of roading with your dog in the water, but kayaking with your dog for, for summer uh, conditioning. And I figured, well, that's a good question, but let's, let's just make it overall. It's summer. How do you condition your dogs? Yeah, I think water is a great way to, to beat the heat. You know, uh, you get out and run the dogs midday in the summer. If it's 90 degrees, I mean, 15 or 20 minutes and, and they're done. And I, I think there's a fine line with, with running the dogs in the summer. If they overheat, they can, they can overheat pretty quickly. And then my thought is if they've done that and had some sort of heat injury before, they're probably more susceptible to it in the future. So I'm really careful about uh, how much I run them in the heat. It's good for conditioning. But for example, yesterday at the training day, I said, I got three birds and I said, just put two birds out. And then if my dog's starting to get too hot, I'm going to call it quits. Um, and if not, we'll, we'll use the third bird, which is not a bad practice anyways. But, uh, yeah, I mean, swimming is, is great. This is a great time of year to work on your duck search. Uh, number one, prepping for the fall test season, but also for conditioning your dog because, they're in the water. They stay cooler. You still need to keep an eye on them, but not nearly as much as if they're just out running in the heat. So that's a great way to do it is hop in a kayak and, and have the dog swim along with you. Yep. Uh, the only thing I would warn is they might want in the kayak and that could turn <laughs> out to be problematic. Yep. And uh, real quick, just my two cents, two piggybacks off that. Remember, just because they're in the water, they can still overheat if the water is too hot. So keep that in mind. And then other thing this time of year, mornings and evenings, your best friend. You know, if all you have is in the middle of the day, make it work. But mornings and evenings, plan around that if you can. Yep. So you, anything else? That's it, man. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to it, Kara. I hope you guys enjoy, and uh, we'll see you next week. There's always something to debate or argue in the dog world, but there's this one thing that's not up for debate. 
All hunters and dog hunters know you need the right gear, not just for yourself, but for your dogs as well. Conkey's Outdoors Hound and Hunting Supply is your number one source for all things hound related. Conkey's is owned and operated by true houndsmen themselves. They've got you covered no matter the game you're chasing, from hog hunting, bear hunting, and even gator hunting. Bird dog guys don't feel left out either. They have whatever you need, whether it's training collars, tracking collars, boots, chaps, vests, coats, and more. No matter what you and your dog needs to have a successful hunt, check out conkeysoutdoors.com and they'll get you on the right track. Purchases over $100 gets you free shipping and enter GDIY5 to save 5%. And if you're a Patreon patron, you get to save even more money. So be sure to check out Conkey's Outdoors. If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels is the only kennel that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. The double-wall rotomodal construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather and conditions. Also, Gunner Kennels has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime, and Gunner stands behind that. Gunner also has all the accessories you can need from fan kits to help keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels, and even tie-down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around in your truck. So if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. Be sure to purchase your kennel, accessories, and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link, and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast. All right, everybody, we have Kara Whitaker on the line. Kara, how you doing tonight? Doing great this evening. How about y'all? Oh, living the dream as always. Can't complain. That's right. Nick's always living that dream. Absolutely. <laughs> so go ahead and just start off telling everybody where you're from. Uh, Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, born and raised. Nice. And so have you? Uh, were you raised with bird dogs, or is that kind of a later on deal? Um. My dad was a hunter growing up. Uh, he and actually my godfather used to hunt birds. So that was kind of my first introduction at a really young age. And then one of my dad's best friends actually bred field trial labs. Okay. So that was where I kind of really got started with my love of labs. Very cool. And I bought my first one when I was 14. Oh, wow. So did you do any uh, training or hunting with that dog or did it turn out to be a house pet? Um, nope, I did train her. Um, unfortunately, uh, she ended up having uncontrolled epilepsy and we had to let her go, but that didn't stop us from owning labs and my family owned them. We owned them. Um, that was actually my husband's eye. That was our first dog we bought when we were in our last semester of college. Um, probably not the best choice you've ever had. Um, but I have trained them all, not necessarily hunted them all, but I've always, you know, made sure that they were well-trained, obedient, that kind of stuff. So, okay. So did you ever get into training professionals or, uh, or working with professionals with, with these dogs or was it just kind of a, a personal DIY type of situation? My, my very first dog, I worked with a professional trainer. And then it wasn't until we got into the monsters that I really hit the working with professional trainers and going head deep in the, in the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And, and that's really what we're going to talk about tonight is your experience with, uh, Munsties. It seems to be a, a very, uh, kind of growing 
popular breed uh, nowadays. I mean, you you kind of steered me in the direction to get mine, and so you kind of know a little bit about my adventure, but I don't know anything about yours. So I, I think this is going to be kind of kind of fun and entertaining. It it is it is. <laughs> well, we hope it's fun, and entertaining. So tell us how uh, how you made the transition from growing up with labs and getting one when you were 14 to where you're at now with Munsties. Well, um, as I said, growing up, we had labs, um, you know, Mark, we've had one until, um, almost our, you know, almost all of our marriage. Um, we've been married almost 30 years and always had Jack Russell's still have them to this day. Apparently I like hard headed dogs. <laughs> um, and when, our boys were at the about seven years ago, maybe seven and a half years ago, we lost our last lab and I said, I wasn't going to have another one. And our boys really were into hunting. They loved to duck hunt and Hunter kind of found this breed, our oldest son and mom started looking into it. And, um, three dogs later, uh, <laughs> we are definitely in the monsters. Um, we, you know, we told the boys I'm happy, you know, kind of looked and I was really intrigued by them, you know, wanted to get a dog that we could have for them to be able to hunt ducks. But then Mark and I were like, okay, well, they're going to eventually leave. So we wanted a dog that we could also enjoy and do upland hunting and, you know, just could be a good all around family dog for us, but have a versatile dog so that we could do multiple, you know, many different things with them. Yeah. And so you kind of uh-huh. steered to the versatile breeds kind of kind of for the same reasons that a lot of people do what but what what specifically appealed to you guys about the small munstie um one of the things that really sold me was how calm they are in the home they were truly truly a family dog um because one of the things growing up you know my godfather had bird dogs but they were in a pen in the backyard right and they were wild as a march hare (laughs) Um, I loved my labs, but, you know, I also know bird dogs most of the time are a different breed. Um, we had been fortunate enough every once in a while to get to go hunt some wild quail on some plantations down here. And I I didn't want, I didn't want that bird dog. I wanted, you know, a family dog that was a bird dog. You wanted that off switch. Definitely want that off switch without a doubt. Yeah, and you know the it. fact is, for most of us, if we really break down the the time that the dog spends in the house compared to the time that the dog spends training or hunting, I mean, they are really. I mean, my dog is a house dog, and then you know, oh, yeah. it's a little bit of time hunting and training in comparison. Yep, I've got three of them that unfortunately sleep in the bed with it. <laughs> <laughs> You just kick Mark to the couch and uh, all the dogs cuddle up with you. Yeah, it's just, they're just wonderful family dogs. I mean, they're ferocious hunters. I mean, you hit a dirt road and mine are ready to go. But you bring them inside and it's like, okay, scoot over. I want my piece of the couch. (laughs) Absolutely. So, so you obviously, you know, you're intrigued by the off switch and, and the just home, home style that they have. Uh, was there anything particular about kind of their hunting genetics and, and lineage that appealed to you guys specifically? I like the fact that it was a rarer breed, you know, it wasn't, and not to knock any breed and I'm not, but you know, I had plenty of friends that had short hairs 
You know, I really oh, didn't hold want to on. Go You're to saying they're crazy? Come on. <laughs> no, she's saying no, they're common. No, no. <laughs> well, I guess I just I gave it away that they're crazy. <laughs> wanted something different. I loved it the fact that they have furnishings. They no two are the same. Yep. You know, they're just kind of different. Um, and the fact that they're so versatile. You know, I could it's easy for my son to take one and go duck hunting, but Mark and I can turn around, you know, and go hunt quail that afternoon. I mean, that's the the kind of cool thing about them. And they're also great therapy dogs. Yep, yep. they are. So. They're, they're a lot of fun. I mean, it, overall, you know, obviously we're, we're going to be touching on why we love small muncies. I mean, you're in them. I, I have my first one, and, and we all love them. But, you know, what, what would you say is, you know, uh, a shortcoming of the breed? That's hard. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, are, are you still with us there? <laughs> it, it, it's speaking in generalities. I mean, obviously every dog's different, well, but every, you know, honestly, that is a difficult question though, because I was just talking earlier about how much we love our, our bird dogs. We love our own dogs. So when someone asks you to, to say, what is it you don't like about your dog? It's like, man, I don't, you know, it is, it's a tough question. What's wrong with your kids? <laughs> it, exactly. Yeah. Um, probably, I guess, a, a shortcoming, and at least I have, I've noticed it a little bit, not, not necessarily across the breed, but with some of mine, um, a little slow to mature. Okay. Um, you know, monsters take a little more, sometimes a little more grooming in certain areas where, and I'm just going to throw it out there just because they're, you know, a short hair almost has like a staunch point from the time you put them on the ground. Yeah. Nick, Nick says that a lot, you know, that, that short hairs are out of the box pointing. And I mean, honestly, if they're not, I'm kind of like, Hmm, how long is it going to take for (laughs) that to develop? So. And monsters do, I will tell you this, they will not point feathers and they won't point a dead bird. Yep. I I would. And so a lot of people, you know, start off with a wing on a string and all this. And I'm like, yeah, not going to work for them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, just from my experience, I mean, Lucy is just one dog, but it, I, I recognize the same thing. And obviously, you know, we've talked about, about Lucy's pointing and kind of working with that still. It's a slow, it's there. It's just slower to develop that staunchness that you can kind of get out of the box with other typical breeds. But we've all seen some Munsties that do have that staunchness to where is, I mean, you would swear it's a short hair pointing just with longer hair. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I have one of those. Yeah, you do. And it's just one of those, you know, G- everybody is that way. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, small Muncies, they have a pointing issue. Well, not all of them. And that's the no. danger of talking with generalities with any breed. But uh, that's that is probably, like you said, it's just slower to mature in the in the small Muncies. Yep. You just have to take your time and and cultivate it if it's not you know, as staunch at a young age and really shows that point in that young age, you just have to be willing to cultivate it and take your time. Absolutely. So what, what was kind of the process? Your son found the breed and everything. And, and it's one thing to figure out which kind of dog you want. What was your process in finding the right breeder and the right line for you, you and your, uh, Mark? 
Well, once we once we found the breed and I started doing research on it, um, mom kind of took over. And I talked to Tom McDonald, who was one of the original, you know, one of our original people that brought the breed in. Um, I talked with uh, Chris Hill. I talked with Pam Robinson. I even went and talked to people on the German side of things. Um, talked to Mark Bolinowski and had long conversations at length with people. And, you know, our end up, our first dog is a Honey Hills dog, came from Chris. Um, my boys really wanted a dog and I was supposed to get an original dog out of one of Pam's litters, but it was about a year off. And, you know, as my boys were getting older and fixing to go off to college, you know, one of them getting ready to graduate and go off to college, it was kind of important to them that we got one sooner rather than later. Um, so we got Caden, who is our first one out of Hunting Hill. Okay. And it, it just, it was, it was an interesting process. It really was. Um, all three of our dogs, I have actually, we have actually gotten without going and seeing them. Okay. Which is a huge leap of faith in a breeder. It is. And luckily for us, three dogs later, it's worked out. <laughs> it's worked out every time. So maybe you want to stick with that. Just buy them sight unseen. There you go. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you've gone with Hunting Hills and Robin Gun, and, and you have a great relationship with both breeders, like you, you alluded to. That I do. You, you have to have that relationship, especially if you're going to go – dog unseen uh to pick up your pup but both of them are located in nebraska that's a little far off from florida to to drive up uh pretty regularly but but you know can you expound on that a little bit more and kind of describe how your relationship and being so close to your breeders have really helped you overall getting into the new breed and then just continuously to train and get new pups from them well, starting off with Chris, I mean, Chris was great to get Caden from. Um, we had lots of conversations and, you know, she talked to us about our family and what our experiences were, um, what kind of dogs we had had. You know, the fact that I had Jack Russell kind of means I'm a little bit capable of taking care of anything thrown my way. <laughs> um, and we just really hit it off, and Chris and we, we did a great job. Um, I didn't have a whole lot to choose from out of that litter, male-wise, because that's what we wanted. Um, but Chris did a great job, you know, helping steer us towards a puppy, and it worked out great. Um, Caden is a phenomenal dog. Um, when it came to getting Gage, you know, I went back with Robin Gunn, and Pam and I had made a friendship from the very beginning um, and still have a very close friendship. Um, when it came to Gage, it was really, really important um, to be able to trust Pam because I had to have a dog that I could bring in that would not, that would complement Caden, you know, that wasn't going to cause, turn, you know, the apple cart upside down, bringing in, a, having two males. Because that's not always an easy thing to do. And we are, everybody kept asking, well, Carrie, are you getting the dog out of Pam's litter? Are you getting the dog? And I kept saying, I don't know. I don't know because Pam and I really, really waited to make sure that Gage's temperament, personality, and all that were going to work with Caden. Um, and I happened to, we happened to go to the Invitational and, and Pam was running the Invitational and brought Gage to me. 
Um, it was really kind of, you know, cool to get him that way. And it's worked. I mean, I have two males that get along phenomenally. And not everybody can say that with two male dogs. I mean, I had two males that in the back of my truck were in the same kennel together. Most people cannot put two males in the same kennel together. Right. And, and um, I, I think and then, what you're just saying was a great tip for a lot of people getting a second or, or multiple dogs is take your time and wait a little bit longer so that the puppy's personality yeah. can develop and you can kind of see yeah. what you're getting. I mean, uh, so many people get, they get on a waiting list and they just want that puppy at six weeks. Yep. And sometimes it's better to leave them a little bit longer. I mean, just to see their personality and even the socialization with mama and the litter mates and all that. And Pam does a phenomenal job with that. Um, she will take your, you know, if she, you know, has a litter and, you know, you might be first, and I say pick, but it's not really a pick. You know, you might be the first on the list for a male, but she's really going to guide as to what puppy you get, you know, yeah. to make sure that that dog's going to the home that it needs to go to. And that's super important. Um, and then we ended up with a female um, from Pam. And that certainly was interesting to throw a female in the mix. <laughs> um but she fits. Um, she fits great, and she actually fits. Our my female Jack Russell is the queen. She is the alpha. <laughs> of course, 100%. always the smallest dog, right? Yep, and she is definitely the alpha, and everybody just melds together, and it's great. <laughs> so, and that's, and, that, and that's important to me. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's got to work. Um, you know what I'm hearing is that with your first dog, you really developed a friendship and it, it sounds like you've developed a friendship with each of the dogs, but you kind of mm-hmm. went out on a leap of faith. Like you said, where you're like, I get along with these people. I've developed some level of trust. We'll get the dog sight unseen with the next ones yep. though. You know, you start looking at pedigrees, you get familiar with the breed and some of the, the kennels that are breeding them. And oh yeah, you know, it's like, okay, I know what, I have a general idea of how this dog is going to be based on looking at the pedigree. I mean, I think, right. Um, so how much, you do. Um, how much time have you spent pouring over pedigrees and just studying the different lines of the small Munsterlander? Definitely have studied them. Um, fortunately we've had a breed conference every year. So Mark and I have gone, um, and it's, you know, been in Nebraska. We've had it in Wisconsin, We've kind of moved it around, but it's interesting to go to those things and be able to see those dogs, see those dogs out of other lines. Um, We have a bird derby, so it's kind of interesting, you know, especially if you get to judge or help with the bird derby, you know, getting to watch different dogs and getting to see. You get an insight that you won't get any other way. I mean, you can look at pedigrees all day long, but getting able, being able to see dogs in the field and see how they interact, you know, see how dogs interact with other ones. Um, you know, I'm probably not going to be the one that wants the dog that has the dog that's barking and growling in the back of the truck. Not going <laughs> to be my, not going to be my pick. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I, you know, when it came to getting engaged, I wanted a Nixie puppy. I mm-hmm. love Pam's dog, um, Hunting Hills, Nixie Ray. And that's, you know, one of Pam's, females and I love Nixie and I wanted a Nixie puppy and I knew what I was getting when I got one. (laughs) (laughs) 
and and you're just talking about and you, I love you, him. you have some breed conferences and a derby and everything when you're talking about we you're not just saying you and pam or you and mark yet you, you guys are involved in the small monster club of north america and yeah when, when did you guys get involved and why was it so important for you to get involved uh, i mean was it really just what you're just talking about you wanted to see what what all the lines were really producing um we got Caden in May and we went to the conference the following year and over the year that whole year I kept talking with you know Chris about training she you know we talk about what Caden was doing what I was doing with him and I think it's super important to talk to your breeder yeah. if your breeder will talk to you I think it's super important um and we decided to come to the conference and it was the best decision we've ever made. And we have made friends all over the United States because of these dogs. We've now traveled all over the United States because of these dogs. <laughs> um, but it was really neat to go to the conference and, you know, meet Tom McDonald, meet, you know, someone that has had this breed, you know, in the United States since the 70s. Um, you know, Paul Jensen is the other one that brought, was... Paul and Tom almost brought the dogs in the exact same time to meet them and learn about them. And they're bringing the dogs in and just, you could not beat going to the conference. It just really, we kind of fell in hook, line, sinker, and then some, I mean, our first conference, Mark ended up being the judge in the field for the bird derby and he judged Tom. <laughs> he was like, nothing like going for the first time and, you know, getting thr thrown in. But we did. And we both loved going and doing and just, you know, I guess going in with both feet and jumping right into the fire. And we have. <laughs> nice. Well, let's let's touch on the importance of, I mean, really any breed club, a, a well-organized breed club is important. And, and why... why just kind of give a sales pitch on why you think that it is important to have a breed club and it be well run and produce better dogs and, and have, you know, people that share the same passion for the breed with, with common goals and objectives when it comes to breeding and growing the breed the right way. Yeah. I think the closer you are to the club, the closer you adhere to the standards. Um, you know, if you're more involved in something, you kind of take more of those things to heart, whether it's, you know, you're being an ethical breeder, um, testing. And when I started, I didn't think that, you know, oh, okay, I'll go do the NA test. I didn't know I was going to be, you know, knee deep in <laughs> everything. It gets um, everybody. But it, you, it is, but you make connection with like-minded people. And the club really does help to serve as a resource, you know, for buyers, for breeders. Um, you know, it's your place to go back to to ask questions to. Otherwise, you can ask questions of other people, but it's not necessarily always a breed-specific type question, you know. So this yeah. it gives you that resource and also gives somebody to hold you accountable for what you're doing. Yeah, and touch on those standards. You know what? What is the club really trying to help help grow? And, and what what do you have to meet to be able to be a club approved breeder? And you know, it's one of those things that yeah, you you can probably go find a breeder that's not a club member, and they might have decent dogs. Absolutely. But the you know, you know, if you're getting a pup 
out of a litter that's actually like club certified or, or club approved, I should say, uh, you're you're getting a bunch of proven standards that are met. What what are some of those standards? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have our you know our standard is you know the breed standard. You have to meet the breed standard. You know, we have faults that they're eliminating faults or severe faults, and you know we people look at those things. Um, you know, you don't want dogs that you know. You know, here you have a dog that has absolutely no furnishings or is too short, too tall, too, you know, there's just different things that this kind of keeps you, I guess you'd say keeps you honest. The health checks um, are a big one. And the health checks. I mean, making sure that, you know, the, the dogs that we approve for breeding, um, you know, have their hips tested. Um, you can, you know, do their eyes. There's different, you know, we, we do, we collect data. Um as much data as we can collect. Yes, the buyers have, you know, your puppy buyers have to be, a lot of people buy a puppy and don't ever go back to their breeder or don't ever call their breeder and go, hey, by the way, this happened, or hey, is this normal? You know, those kind of things. So we we keep an eye on genetic issues, if there are any, and try to, you know, look at those things, whether it's epilepsy or, you know, hips. I mean, you know, if you have, kind of look at a line and their hips are borderline okay, you know, then you might want to, you, you might want to start going in a different direction. You know, you try yeah. to, you try to make a pairing based off of what's best for the breed, what's best for the dog. So if you have a dog that maybe doesn't have a great staunch point, but here you have a possibility for a match that's got a great staunch point, you know, strong drive, and that's going to be a good match. But at the same time, you have to look up how the dog is put together. You know, is it a good, is it a good pairing? Absolutely. And I think that's where the breed, the breed club, club helps. Well, and it ties back to a minute ago, you know, we we're saying it's difficult to identify what you don't like about your dog. I mean, it, it's, it's mm-hmm. hard to say this is something wrong with my dog. So someone else can do that for you. It's hard to have that critical eye. It sure is. Yeah. And that's, I mean, same with training, you know, Nick and I help each other out with that all the time, uh, with, with training our dogs and, you know, I don't have any breeding experience, but I know that it takes an outside eye, a critical eye to say, this is something wrong with that dog. And either you don't need to breed it or you need to pair it with something that'll, that'll help it out. Yeah, you need that compliment. If if the dog is if the dog is within standard and you know health wise can be you know is okay to breed, you just need to make sure your pairing is you're you know making the best pairing you can and you're producing the best litter that you can. Right, and and it's and it's rewarding as a breeder. You know, Caden has sired two litters, and it is rewarding to hear people you know comment back you know, best dog I've owned, um, you know, and to watch them do testing and, you know, prize well, you know, come up with good scores. And it just, it, it really rings back to you unless you know that you're doing a good job. I mean, one of Caden's first puppies went to a girl up in North Dakota and her dad is been with the club and a breeder for a very long time. And she ended up with a puppy. Um, this lineage goes back to her father's, kennel and I, I mean she just it's nice to hear from her and hear you know the great things and hear from other people 
you know, how much they love their dogs. Or you have somebody that says, hey, I saw one of Caden's puppy at a test. Wow, that was a great dog. I mean, that's, that lets you know you did something right. Yeah, it's the hard work and scrutiny kind of coming to fruition when you when you finally get to to reap the benefits Absolutely. and see the results of it. Absolutely. And, and it's it's kind of a anybody looking for a puppy, it's it's really just a good starting point. You know, okay, I can look at outside breeders that maybe aren't members of the club, but if I go with the club and I know that approved litter, it automatically has the health checks and the comp scores like that. So the the club is is currently growing though. I mean obviously the breed's growing so you have membership growing and everything. They're but definitely all, growing. But the the club also just branched out since the Munsties have come over, I think you said this in the seventies, uh they haven't mm-hmm. been recognized by the AKC. But it looks like that's about to change. Is that correct? That is correct. Um we have been a foundational stock dog with the AKC for a while, um, which, you know, you could register your dog as a foundation stock, um, which allowed you, it allowed you some testing in some venues, um, not confirmation. There were a lot of things that you couldn't do as foundation stock. Um, and we, we were approached by AKC um, because basically our breed was going to become part of the AKC whether we wanted it or not. So as one of the, the oldest breed club in the United States, we decided that we would like to be in the driver's seat with that. Absolutely. So that we can, um, you know, we can maintain the hunting integrity of our breed. Um, you know, we get to, we get to write all the standards. So we get to make sure that it's the SCI standard. Um, you know, we make sure that we requ- require certain things. It's all in, you know, it's all in the works now, trying to get all the all the details worked out. And it's and it's a lot. It is an arduous task that the board has taken on to do this. Imagine. But we want to make sure that we truly protect our breed. So, um, so y'all yeah, are moving to AKC, pretty, but pretty, you're you're trying to keep all the standards and everything that have has helped the breed become what it is today. Correct. Correct. I mean, they're, they're a pretty dog. I mean, they're a gorgeous dog. Yeah. So, you know, and not anything against people that do confirmation because I think it's important, but there are plenty of people that are simply confirmation people that will look at this dog and go, Oh, well, Dan, that's a pretty dog, but they're never going to hunt it. They're never going to uphold what the breed is. And so we are doing our, absolute best to make sure that we maintain the integrity of the breed right and, and there's been examples of other breeds over the years everybody's kind of familiar with it yep. I, don't, I don't think we need to bash any specific breed but it is very important that that we keep the hunting tradition alive in these breeds because it can quickly become watered out of you know all it takes is one one insurance commercial or movie to come out and everybody wants the dog and they're showing it and the yep. hunting goes by the wayside Yep, and I, it's me owning Jack Russells. Yep. You know, I, I can remember everybody wanted wishbones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, and I sought out and I sought out the true short-legged Jack Russell. It was the Irish Jack. You know, I wanted. I had a very specific thing in mind when I got mine, and my actual first one came from my sister. Um, but it's 
you it you do watch how things change with certain dogs. Um, you know, the golden retriever and, and I happen to know Mark Atwater who is a golden retriever breeder, he breeds field field bred goldens. And I tell you what, to watch his dogs hunt and everything they do is amazing. But at the same time to go to a hunt test, see the big fluffy goldens that look like a cotton ball. <laughs> yeah. It's lost that lost that hunting that hunting part. Yep. You know, so it's, I, I've seen a lot of it firsthand with other breeds. Well, and, I, you know, I know Nick said we're not going to talk about a, a specific breed, but the Golden Retrievers is a perfect example. It's the classic example of that because it's a beautiful it dog. Is. They're well-behaved. They make great family dogs, which is also the description of a small Munsterlander. They're beautiful. They make yep. great family dogs, you know. <laughs> um and people want to get them. I don't want to say that's the wrong reason to get them, but we can't forget no. that it's a hunting dog. You know, let the right. dog do what it's bred to do. And as breeders, it is our responsibility to try to ensure that our dogs go to hunting homes. Absolutely. And that, um, and that ties right into the, the dog, importance of a good breed club. And if the dog doesn't go to a hunting home, it's not to say that, you know, not to say that somebody that's not a hunter can't own one, but they can. But they need to do something with the dog. Yeah. You know, so the dogs need an outlet. They need that, you know, whether they're an avid hiker and, you know, or agility or anything. They, they need dogs, all breeds need an outlet for their brain. Exactly. And that's a perfect segue because that's right where I was headed next is you don't just do one one type of testing or training with your dogs you kind of cross the lines you you really try and work with the versatility of this breed so what tell everybody like everything that you test and try and do with with your munsties okay well i tested i do test in navda um you know that's kind of our our go-to with a versatile dog is that you test in navda um but then i turn around and in training my first dog, I needed help doing force fed. So I reached out to a re retriever pro and Justin is now part of our family. Um, yep. That's the way it happens. But he got me into, you know, he got me into HRC, which is run through UKC. It's a hunter retriever club. Um, he got me into testing with HRC. And then when we were able to, I started testing, um, with the retriever wise with AKC um, and their venue. And I do a lot of obedience. Um, I belong to our local um, kennel club. So, you know, I keep them going in obedience classes and different things. Yeah. Um, Rye's going to end up being a therapy dog. Wow. So I really kind of push, I guess, <laughs> push the envelope a little bit. Um, now yeah. that we're part of, you know, become part of AKC, I'm looking forward to, dabbling into the you know the akc pointing stakes yeah. and trying with that i haven't done it yet that's my next my next thing to kind of to move into yeah i mean that's true uh, versatility you're you're running you know four or five different venues um yeah. what's your method to go about that because i've talked to a few people that they focus on navda for example and then once they're done with like the utility test or even the invitational then they move on to the AKC uh, pointing stuff. 
field trials or, right. or hunt tests or whatever and kind of take it like um, one venue at a time? Are you dabbling in all of it at the same time with, with one dog? I will do the, the nice thing about AKC or HRC and even AKC in the retriever world, like either their HRC has their started stakes, which is really a kind of a puppy type thing. Yes, you want your dog force-fetched. You know, you want to you want to be to the, or if you don't force-fetch, that's fine. But you want to be to the point that you have a reliable retrieve and recall. Right. Um, but what I find is great with that is my dogs learn how to mark birds. Oh. Um, and they learn how to go to tests. They learn about going to tests and being around other dogs and sitting in the back of the truck in their crate and waiting their turn. and. Yep. It just it just helps, and still performing you know, even though they can sense out. how nervous you are yep. as a handler. <laughs> yeah, well, that yes, um, and I got to tell you, I, I am more novice, more nervous testing Navda than I am with anything else. Um, really, I am. It's ter- I know it's terrible to say, but I am. Um, well, why do you think that is? Probably because it's so many different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nick's been there with me. Um, probably <laughs> just because it's so many different things in one day. And yeah. it's, it really is a test of our dogs because you go from things that are really kind of a, you know, a field hunt is your dog thinking. Your dog has to think for itself. Yes, you're there for guidance, but your dog's got to think and kind of be out there on its own. You know, he has to independently hunt you know, hunt for you, but it has to be able to go do, you know, search a field, you know, a duck search is major independence. Right. And in that independence, there are so many things that can go wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for sure. And then um, the next minute we're asking them to be obedient, to be obedient. Yeah. Uh, you know, I guess throughout the whole thing, we're asking for obedience and cooperation, but we're we going to have you stand there and not move while I go out of sight in one moment. And then a few yep. minutes later, we're going to ask you to, to go out there and not come back for a good while. They <laughs> have to be independently and, obedient. Hey, there you go. Yep. <laughs> and that was one of the things that with, you know, with Justin, my retriever pro and, you know, Justin, you know, trained lots of dogs. I mean, we would have, you know, 40 dogs in the kennel at a time. Um, he's very successful pro trainer. And that was one of the things that was so hard for him to understand because everything in that lab world is so controlled. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, it's don't think I'm telling you what to do. I mean, they, they do think, but it's not like our dogs that, you know, one second, hang on, I need you to go independently, go search this pond. <laughs> okay. Wait a second. Now I need you to sit here and I need you to mark birds, you know, and do the water sequence. He had such a hard time understanding why I was trying to balance my training, you know, because nurturing that independent side that we need for that duck search. Yes. But (laughs) trying to get that obedient side for other things. And so he really has a great appreciation now for our breed and the versatility and what we ask of them. That's one of my favorite um, things when retriever guys, their world just gets turned upside down when they get introduced to duck search. I, I love going to the trial grounds and there's guys just, I'll sit there and watch so I can hopefully learn something from their marks or blinds or something. And then mm-hmm. I, I pull out a duck search and they're just like, 
what the heck is that? <laughs> it, it really yeah, messes they're with so their mind. By it. Yeah. It, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's one of the cool things about working with the retriever people um, and going to HRC and going to these testing and, you know, um, training with them. At least in a test situation, you can sit there all day and you can watch. And you can watch what the pros do. You can watch what other people do. And it's, it's really neat to watch people run that hunt test situation and be able to truly sit there and watch how they do it, why they did it. And they're always, you know, you can ask, why did you do that? And they're always happy to tell you. And that's one thing about NAVDA is, at least in a testing situation, it's so hard to watch. Yeah, You know, you really true. don't get that opportunity to really interact um and kind of be a part of it you know hrc everybody's got their chairs and you know even with the akc with the retriever stuff you know you got your chairs everybody's sitting right there with you watching what you're doing i mean everybody can hear you and that's what is kind of neat about that venue and one of the things i've really loved about it is just i've learned a lot yeah, that learned would, a lot what to do and a lot of things not to do. That would make me nor, more nervous, you know, having having a big crowd of people <laughs> watching. So it's funny that Navda makes you more nervous. I mean, with Navda, typically you come back from whatever uh, whatever portion of the test it is, and everyone in the parking lot's like, "Well, how did it go?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> if we hear the know, person with, screaming, yeah, with HRC and with the AKC stuff. Um, you have more of an idea, what do you want to say? You have a better idea because it's such a more clear-cut picture. Right. As to how you did. I mean, you know, I've come off an HRC test running seasoned, which is you're running blind, you're running multiple marks. And, you know, I've had a judge go, why'd you do that? You're like, um, because? <laughs> <And laughs> I wanted like, to. Yeah. And they'll be like, okay, well, this afternoon when you run your blind, I want to see you do this. Okay. Which, you know, with, with Navda, you don't really get that. Immediate feedback. That no, kind it's of immediate all hush, hey, hush until the, the scores way. are read. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, because they'll say, okay, well, you were kind of marginal on your blind this afternoon. I really need you to challenge the blind. I really need you to do, you know, and then so you have that kind of, you get sometimes a little bit of feedback that, Get you through that afternoon, you know, the next portion of it, or, you know, I had, you know, judges immediately when you come back will go, nice job, great job. You know, you don't always get that nod, but you get thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that you do. Yeah. Thanks. And then you're you sitting know, there like, oh man, I have to wait like eight more hours to get the results was on that this a, one. Was that portion. a good thanks or yeah. a sympathetic <laughs> thanks? <laughs> you know, when I ran, when Rye with her NA test, we did the pheasant track. I thought I had, I thought I had ruined it. I thought it was the worst pheasant track in the entire world. I thought I had just like, I mean, it was overdone with thanks. Go take your dog. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, and then find out at the end of the day, we got a four. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just stressing the rest of the day for no reason then. Yep. <laughs> oh, oh, it happens. So it, it is interesting to go in those different venues and to have the different relationship with judges and, and I don't know. It's just, it's a little different. Absolutely. And, and so. at the end of the day, no matter what, whether 
you you do that and you never never even put the titles on your dog, it still at the end of the day makes a better well rounded dog, both inside the Absolutely. house and in the hunting field. And like you said, these dogs need that escape. They they need that that channel just to perform. And, you know, that yeah. that directly goes into what we really have these dogs for. We all love training and testing, but we have these dogs to hunt and go on hunting trips and and so, yep. you know, walk us through that. T- tell us, you know, what your typical season looks like. I mean, what what do you what do you all like to chase with your monsties? Well, down here, um, it's quail. That's pretty much, um, and it pretty much it's a put and take situation down here. We do go hunt some wild birds. Um, it's a lot more hunting than shooting, mm-hmm. um, just because to you know, if you were hunting private wild birds, it is financially unavailable to most of us. Yeah. It's yeah. the best way to put that. Um, but we, we're familiar you know, with that. We, yeah, it's, it, it can be a little rough. We'd love to go pheasant hunting. Um, we make a trip at least once a year. Uh, Mark and I normally leave here, go to Nebraska, go hunt with Pam in Nebraska for a few days and then go to South Dakota. Nice. And we've, mixed our trips up some we've done hunts where we've been all monsters mm-hmm. um which is cool that's really an awesome trip um we've gone where we've hunted with a friend of ours and a group of men that have been doing this for hell i think 30 years um and this was my first year last year going with them and it was great it was an awesome experience um they love my dogs which was you know i'm always I'm always so hesitant. It's like, okay, if they screw up, I'll put them in the truck. You know, I'm not going to ruin somebody's hunt. Um, so it's nice when somebody likes your dogs at the end of the day. Um, went with a guide a year ago um, in South Dakota. And just because we couldn't find any, you know, kind of had a bunch of other people with us. And we're trying to kind of do a guided hunt so that they really had a good time. You know, people like to shoot birds. Yeah, right. Um and it was nice at the end of the day to have the guide. I went to go put my dogs up and he's like, please don't put your dogs up. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And he's like, no, really. He said, because of them, he goes, we recovered birds that I never would have been able to recover. That's, so that's a big compliment. Yeah, that's nice to hear at the, that's nice to hear at the end of the day. Um, we are very involved with our um, local quail forever chapter. Mark's the president of our quail forever chapter. Um, so we do a youth uh, first time hunter quail hunt and I've guided that hunt. Um, that's really rewarding, you know, to have a child get their first quail or, you know, enjoy watching dogs work. I mean, it's sometimes we take for granted that people know what we do and they don't. So it's, you know, that's kind of rewarding. Um, we, you know, since we have, the, you know, our, our boys are older, but they still like mom and dad and want to hang out with us. So we try, you know, this year we're planning a duck hunt, um, whether it's to North Dakota or over to Arkansas. Um, they hunt locally. Um, sometimes we don't get to use the dogs because we have an alligator issue down here. Yep. Um, and I'm not super excited about my dogs getting eaten by an alligator. No. Um, so we've gone over to Real Foot Lake in Tennessee, um, you know, took both my dogs. And, you know, it was nice at the end of the day to have, you know, the guy there was happy to have my dogs. And that meant a lot because, you know, he's like, I can't tell you how many people go, let me bring my lab. He hunts. And then I've got, you know, he's like, I've got a shit show in the, in the blind because the dog, 
you know, isn't well behaved, won't listen, won't do this. So it's, it's nice to go and know that you have a, a dog that you've trained that you can take someplace. And that kind of goes into what you're saying, you know, just doing all the different types of testing that you do. It, it, I think it's kind of an undervalued aspect of this world is your dog gets accustomed to relaxing in whatever environment they're in, just whether they're waiting in the truck yeah. or in a blind and they're not just sitting there whining or barking or yelping the whole time. It, it can, it can really just take the suck the enjoyment out of a day. If you're just sitting there listening to a dog yap all day. Yes. Or at the end of the day, if you know everybody, if you, if there's a couple of dogs that you know their name well, yeah. 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 I think that's all we have to do, say on that is yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep, we've been there before. So you mentioned, uh, you know, I know it's gun dog yourself, but you mentioned that, that one of your dogs is getting qualified as a therapy dog. And I think that speaks even greater to the versatility of these dogs that they can, you know, retrieve wounded game point game, but then in the next minute or the next day or something, now they're a therapy dog. What does that process look yep. like? Um, and we've just started that with Rye. So I'm heavy into obedience with her. Um, and she's just a year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm getting ready to get her canine good citizenship. That's the first step. Um, and then it's, you know, it's a lot of obedience. It's a lot of introducing the dog to as many situations that you can introduce them to. You know, right. you don't want to go walk into Lowe's and they're scared to death. You don't want to, you know, they need to meet people. Um, they need to be happy to meet people, but at the same time, they have to be, you know, the dog that you can go in and make lay down. Um, and Ride just happens to have, I just really feel like she has the personality to do it. Um, she's super, super sweet, um, loves everybody. So, you know, you can get certified. There's a couple of different you know venues that you can use to get certified. Our local hospital here does it. Um, you know, so you can get certified through them, you know, class you go through. Um, AKC does do a thing that they do a, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's almost like a temperament type thing where you can get your dog um, certified that they've passed it, but they'll do everything from, you know, walking your dog up to people in a wheelchair, but at the same time, maybe, you know, something falls over here and makes a noise. You know, so they obviously don't want a dog that all of a sudden bolts from the room and drags you down the hallway. Um, You know, so it's kind of interesting. Different floor textures. I mean, that sounds one of the weirdest things, but some dogs are really funny about different textures, you know, whether it's walking on, you know, a hospital hallway or, you know, walking upstairs because you didn't realize, oh, I don't have stairs in my house. My dog's never walked upstairs. Um, so, you know, like when we travel to hunt, you know, I make sure we, we get on the elevator. We go up and down the stairs. You know, we come through the lobby and meet people and know that we're supposed to lay down, you know, lay down while I'm registering, you know, checking in. And it, there's there's a lot that can go into all kinds of different things with the dogs to make a well-rounded dog. Yeah. And even though you're doing that for, you know, to make the dog into a a certified therapy dog, it's got to translate over into just the overall enjoyment of the dog. And and it probably translates to helping you with testing in other venues too. 
absolutely. I, you know, I can take my dogs to a hotel and not be worried that, you know, the lobby just got 10 phone calls, you know, and, and, it, and that's nice. And it just opens up the doors to going everywhere with your dog. I mean, we have these dogs and we love them and, and we want to take them places and just not have it be a hassle and, you know, you, you can't do that with your typical, like you're saying back in the day, the bird dogs in a wild cage, you know, expose them to everything yeah. and you can take them anywhere with you. And you're just spending time with your friend the whole time. Yep. I, I want to be able to go, you know, whether it's on hunting trips or vacation to be able to take my dogs and, you know, have the owners tell me, you know, you're welcome to bring your dogs back. Absolutely. And that's, that's a lot. Absolutely. Well, Kara, this has been a lot of fun. I was excited to get you on and talk about uh, a, a shared, uh, you know, passionate about this breed. <laughs> and, you know, I don't have a small monster lander, but I really <laughs> appreciate them too. I mean, almost every time we go out and, and train together, I'm like, man, I really like Lucy. She always just has this look of like, you know, I'm just happy to be here, ready to train. <laughs> I just want to please They're you. They're always so. happy. Yes. I mean, she literally smiles like all the time. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, I, I'm getting more passionate about the breed as well. <laughs> We're going to get them a small monster one of these days, Kara. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, I know where to go to get one. <laughs> <laughs> well, is it before we let you go, is there anything else you want to touch on or mention, get on a soapbox and preach about anything? Um. Well, one thing, because this is an issue that we had this past year, um, came home from our South Dakota trip, and about a week later, Rye had about a softball-sized abscess on her shoulder. Oh. Mm -hmm. And I am obsessed with my dogs. Um, I mean, I tailgate check them. Um, I check them back when we get back to the hotel. I mean, I spent hours one night in Nebraska combing through these dogs. I mean, really going through these dogs, pulling out everything in the world. Um, so I will tell you, do your tailgate check, check them again in the hotel. And the one thing Mark and I didn't do, and I didn't think about it is I had some moving blankets in their kennel. And I honestly believe that she got the grass on because it was left on the moving blanket. Mm, something you don't really and think I didn't, about. Didn't think about it. Cause I, when I say I go through these dogs, I mean, I will spend hours and if it means, you know, I don't get my shower till the next morning or, you know, whatever it is, I take care of my dogs. And so I was horrified that this happened to her. And so I, you know, check your kennel bedding, you know, if you have straw or something like that in there, it might be a little bit different, but if you have any type of actual, you know, bedding, a blanket, towels, that kind of stuff, really need to pull them out and shake them. Um, just, and it, it, it was heartbreaking to know that this happened. And that's even really with short-haired dogs, too. Um, yep. You know, I've, I've had uh, some friends recently that have had serious issues because of grass-ons. They're also called mean seeds, foxtail. Yep. Um, they, they will basically work their way into the dog's skin and, uh, and wherever they want to throughout the dog's body. So it, it's pretty serious. And I would say, you know, if you're hunting someplace and you're looking at a field and you don't know or you don't like the what you see in the field, don't do it. Yeah. Make, you know, 
That's that's it, a great it's a risk tip. you take, and if you're willing, if you're willing to take that risk, go for it. Um, but I will be very, you know, just super cautious if I think there's seed, you know, as you said, the mean seeds or the grass on, you know, in the field that I don't really want to go run my dog through. Then we're just going to go on and we'll go to a different field. There you go. It's I not think, worth it. I think that's a great tip, especially about the bedding, because you know that's the first time I've honestly heard that one and. I never really think I, about that. I do the tailgate checks, but I nope. never check the bedding. Yeah. Yep. And that's the only way we can think that she got it. Because when I say I spent hours, I mean hours going <laughs> through these dogs. Perfect. And Looking for just that. And then it still popped up. Yeah. yeah. It was in her bedding. And, you know, they're back there laying there. I mean, you go hunt another dog for an hour or two and come back. Well, they've been sitting in that kennel. Yeah. Having contact with whatever was in there didn't even dawn on me to pull the bedding out. Exactly. Well, there you go, listeners. That's your hot tip for the week. It's a great one. Kara, we appreciate it. I enjoyed it, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Nick and Adam. I appreciate y'all having me. All right. Thanks for coming on. We'll see you. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just after replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.